You know, for the last month, I've been preaching out of Acts. Not month. I, like, I think since the beginning of the year, I've been preaching out of Acts. I'm doing an expository kind of like a study of Acts. And it's going to take me a long time because I've been preaching since the beginning of the year. And I'm on chapter 5. <laughs> Man, and I say this joke every time I preach from Acts. But I think it's going to be one of those things that it's going to take a while. And I'm going to take small breaks in between. No, I'm not going to. You know, but I, my goal is to not skip over anything, you know. And one of the things that really help when you preach expositorily, one of the things that you that you really get like learn from and you kind of develop is to never ignore the word of God. And you got to know that, you know, you can't skip over parts of the Bible because it doesn't pertain to your sermon, you know. But you got to actually, you know, find go into the word of God and find what He's speaking to you through that word for that moment, you know. And so. I plan on going through, you know, I haven't really, I haven't skipped any part, any verse of Acts. And I'm, you know, and I, and this week I kind of wanted to. I was like, oh, Lord, I have a great sermon in the last part of chapter five. But this part is hard. It's a difficult sermon. And, you know, I, I was preparing yesterday and Mina was gone. She was uh, hanging out for Shine's graduation party. And I was sitting in my house writing my sermon. I was like, Lord, please help me to pass this part. It's very hard. And he's like, no, you have to preach this. And so I have a word for you today. I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts 4. So turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. Chapter 4. If you're there, say amen. Amen. We're going to start from verse 32. And then we're going to go all the way to verse 11 of chapter 5. Okay. I'm going to read one verse, and you guys are going to read the next verse. I'm going to take turns. I'm going to read from the ESV version, because that's what the, the version that our church uses. But if you have a different ver- version, you know, read it out loud. Just don't read as loud. Okay? <laughs> so now the full time, I'm going to read from uh, verse 32, chapter 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they did have the apostles' Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. But, okay, moving on to chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last breath. And that's gangster. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped them up and carried them out and buried them. 
After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Okay, let's read this all together. And great fear came upon the whole church. And upon all who heard of these things. All right. Man, that's a scary story. You know, I remember hearing this as a kid and getting scared. And uh, we have a pastor in Hillside. His name is David Kang. We call him Diddy. And he has a story when he was young. And his dad gave him like a dollar to put into the offering basket. And like he was like, I could give it or I could take it and buy a donut. And, and he went and he bought a donut, you know. And then his dad saw him eating the donut, and he was like, oh, he just realized he's stolen from the church. Now, I had, I had the instance like this when I was young. My mom would give me $5 when I go to church in junior high. And our church was uh, in the middle, right by, K- right by Chinatown in L.A. It was Yongnak Church. I grew up in L.A. And right next to it is the most amazing burrito place that you have ever eaten in your life. It's called Carnitas Michoacan, and it's so good, right? Now, I'll get $5, right? And usually, like, you, my, my mom says, you know, like, my mom would give me, like, $6 and say, give $5 offering and then buy a kimbap, which, like, the kimbap, a church would sell kimbap for a dollar. So eat the kimbap and then come home. And I'd be like, all right, I could do that. But then my friends, Glenn Nam and Jonathan Jung and Leonard Choi, would be like, yo, let's skip service and let's go get a burrito. And I'd be like, oh, man, come on. All right, let's do it. And so we would go. And we'll go, and then we go order an all-beef burrito, and then eat it, and then we'd have like $2 left, and we'd go play Street Fighter at the liquor store. And our Street Fighter came out, and we'd play, and then after service, I'd go and buy a kimbap, and go to my mom, and say, hey, mom, and eat the kimbap in front of her. It's like, yeah. And, and so we did this a few times. It's not like we did it every Sunday, but there were times when we felt like, man, it's Street Fighter day. It's a burrito day. And so, you know, we would have these days... And then I heard the sermon about Ananias and Sapphira. And I remember the preacher saying, man, you, you know, it's like how, like what belongs to God, you got to give to the Lord. And, and I remember great fear came upon me. And I remember like, it wasn't the fear of the Lord, it was fear of death. I was like, oh, God's going to strike me down. I'm like, Lord, forgive me for the burritos. You know? But many Christians, when they read this part of Acts, they associate it with money. A love of money. You know, about being a cheerful giver, about tithing, about offering. And it's true. It says in the Word of God that you are to be a, a cheerful giver. You know, we are not to be controlled by money. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve money and both, both money and God. When God calls us to tithe. God calls us to give offering. Why? Not so much because the church needs your money. But He calls us to give to remind you. That money cannot have power over you. Here at New Philly, we have membership. And one of the requirements of membership is, is in the covenant is to tithe. And for, for those of you that don't know what the tithe is, it basically means a tenth. So, you know, in, in Israelites, God commanded the Israelites to give a tenth 
of, of the increase of that year. You know, that was called the tithe. And it started well before Mo- Moses, but it started way back in Abraham. And so, you know, it was this, the tithe. He calls us to tithe, and it's biblical. And, you know, for the sake of my sermon, I'm not going to go into everything about tithing, about it being biblical. I encourage you to take our membership class, <laughs> which is coming soon. You know, I'll explain everything about tithing and all of that. That's part of the membership class. Um, tithing and offering and being a cheerful giver is important. It's, 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 a, it's a very important part of your Christian life. But when I read about Ananias and Sapphira, I don't think the heart of what God is trying to communicate is about giving. There's a deeper heart issue that needs to be drawn out of this passage. And you're not going to drop dead just because you don't give your tithe or you hold back a part of your tithe. Because if you did, there'd be a lot less Christians. A lot, a lot, there'd be not, not a lot of you would be here with us today. You know? But the first part of Acts, we, in, in Acts 5, is a stark contrast to the theme that Luke's been writing from the beginning of his narrative. You know, it's a stark contrast. It starts with his butt. He inserts this very dark and almost scary story. In the midst of the tremendous life that's coming out of the church. And so what's been happening? You know, Jesus goes back to, he ascends and the, and the church is gathered. Holy Spirit comes powerfully. He starts speaking in tongues. Like thousands of people are added to their numbers. Like miracles starts to break out. You know, people, lame people are walking. They even get persecuted. You know, the Sanhedrin calls them up and puts them in jail and says, man, stop preaching under the name of Jesus. And be like, you know what? You can't hold us down. We're going to do it. And, and they rise up and they pray for more boldness. And we see in the first, in the last part of chapter 4, we see this beautiful picture of the church. Everyone being in one heart and soul. Life flowing through the church. People were selling the possessions and giving to the people in need. And we hear about this man named Joseph, who the apostles called Barnabas. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. And he sells his land. You know, and he lays all the money at the apostles' feet. Everything is great. But all of a sudden, there's a but. When a chapter of the Bible starts with but, you need to pay attention. God's saying something here. But! My, my, my wife, like, she would say, apologize. I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel bad for doing this, but. And she goes, no buts. Just apologize. You know, like, like we put in butts because, you know, what's happening, it kind of means something to us. And when, when God says, but, you should pay extra attention. Yeah, Karish. In the midst of all the life and growth and love and encouragement, there's this but. And we get a couple, a, a couple, a Christian couple dropping dead. And God's saying, listen, there's, there's a lesson in this for you to learn. So what is the problem? We need, to, we need to be clear on the exact nature of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. Their sin was not that they had sold their property and had given only a part to the church. You know, First of all, it wasn't mandatory that you sell your property. Apostles were saying, everybody, if you believe in Jesus, sell all your property and give it to the church. But he wasn't saying that. People were led to do this. The Holy Spirit. And even if you sold your property, it wasn't mandatory that you had to give it all to the church. Peter's like, before you sold it, wasn't it yours? And after you sold it, wasn't it still yours? 
Their sin wasn't that they sold the property and only gave a part of the money. Their sin was that they conspired together to deceive the apostles in the church into thinking that they were giving the entire amount when, in fact, they kept back a portion for themselves. In other words, they were trying to impress everyone with a higher level of spirituality and commitment than they really had. Ultimately, it wasn't an issue of money. It was an issue of the heart. Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why is that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. The hard issue that God is confronting here is hypocrisy. Everybody say it. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. It's bad. <laughs> and they saw Barnabas selling his property and then laying all the money at the apostles' feet and they saw how admired he was, how, how, how Barnabas was praised. And they thought, we want some of that. I want some of that praise. And so they went and sold their land. They got all this money. And then they looked at the money, and they said, I want some of that. But they also wanted all the praise, admiration, and the glory of laying the full amount at the, the feet of the apostles. And, they, and ultimately, they valued the praise of people and what they thought of them more than what God knew of them. I want to mention again that these were Christians, believers like you and I. And like Peter said, they lied to God. They wanted to have the image of spirituality and selflessness, ultimately holiness, without the action and the substance behind it. And they tried to get it through a lie. It was hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy comes from the Greek, hypocrisis. I think that's how you say it. And hypocrite, the word comes from, the, the meaning is to act a part on a stage. The hypocrite is an actor. Dictionary defines hypocrisy as the practice of professing standards, beliefs, morals, values, etc. Contrary to one's real character or actual behavior, especially the pretense of virtue and piety. It's a deliberate deception. Trying to make people think we are more spiritual than we actually are. And this may all sound similar. Because Pastor Mina, a few, few weeks ago, during Women's Ministry Month, she preached on the, the religious spirit. And this is... This is what the religious spirit is made out of. Let me tell you, hypocrisy unchecked is fuel for the religious spirit. It's what, turn, it, it's what turns so many people away from the church. But also it turns so many people away from Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Jesus hated hypocrisy. And the story of Ananias and Sapphira is a stern warning against hypocrisy. And I don't want to scare you and say that hypocrisy is going to kill you. You know, like I said, if it did, a lot of us will not be here. You know, like you're going to drop there like Ananias and Sapphira. No. But I believe that what happened in Acts 5 and the way that it is recorded by Luke is to show how seriously God sees hypocrisy. He hates it. God hates hypocrisy. In Matthew 23, Jesus is really harsh when he pronounces all these woes to the Pharisees. And he calls them hypocrites. I want you guys to turn your Bibles to Matthew 23. If you're there, say amen.
Exodus 23. All right, here it is. It says, okay, verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you either enter yourself nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he comes, becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blinded guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath, you blind fools. Later on, it goes to say that they are like, like, like tombs, like whitewashed tombs. Clean on the outside, looks great, but inside it's filled with dead man's bones. And Jesus he has such a stern warning against hypocrisy. You know? Luke 21.1, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It, you, know, you know how leaven works. You, you get, it's, called, it's like yeast. You put a little bit of leaven in a dough, and you start working at it. It, it, it spreads the whole entire batch. And all of a sudden, the whole dough rises. And like leaven, if hypocrisy is left unchecked, it can start off really small, but it can slowly take over your life. And you might be thinking, man, you're all close with God, but in actuality, you're living in sin. And God hates hypocrisy. Today, I'm going to give you three reasons why God hates hypocrisy. Number one, God hates hypocrisy because it's rooted in pride. At the center of hypocrisy is the sin of pride, which God hates. God hates your pride. In our pride, we are more concerned with our reputation than our character, more concerned with how we are seen by than the truth. We're more focused on what man thinks than when God, what God knows of us. It's pride that causes us to say, yeah, God, I know what you know, but in my pride, I care more about what man thinks. And we make a mockery of the knowledge of God. We lie against the knowledge of God. God knows us. We make a mockery of that. Pride is what led Lucifer's downfall. And it's one of the main temptations that he uses to lead believers into sin. For Ananias and Sapphira, it was pride that made them crave the praise of man more than the truth of God. And then led them to the second reason why God hates pride. And, and the second reason is hypocrisy is manifested through lies. It's rooted in pride and it grows through lies. God hates hypocrisy because it builds on lies and God hates lies. It's the opposite of who he is. He's the truth. Proverbs 6, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. You can't have hypocrisy without lies. They go hand in hand. An alcoholic who is very zealous about alcoholism being bad tells other alcoholics that being an alcoholic is bad but fails to stay sober out of weakness is an alcoholic but is not a hypocrite. 
It's only when he lies about his sobriety to others. And while telling others that alcoholism is bad, that makes him a hypocrite. In order to be a hypocrite, there needs to be a lie. It's founded on lies. That's why God hates hypocrisy so much. And the lies of hypocrisy is even worse because like Paul said in Acts 5.4, you're not lying to man, but you're lying to God. You're lying to God himself. You're lying to God that what he already knows of you is a lie. And the third reason and the most serious reason why, that I think why God hates hypocrisy is religious hypocrisy leads to the misrepresentation of God himself. You know, you want to know what God is serious about? Who, who, who thinks they know what God is serious about? He's serious about himself. And he's not being vain. He's God. He says, I am who I am. You have no other God before me. He's serious about his glory. I am Lord. That is my name. I give my glory to no other. Nor my praise to carved, carved idols. He's serious about his holiness. Leviticus 11.44, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself therefore and be holy, for I am holy. He's serious about his love, so much so that he gave his son for you and me. And he's serious about himself, and he hates being misrepresented by his people. You know, in Leviticus 9, Aaron is the high priest, and the Lord through Moses tells Aaron to make all these offerings. You know, it says... Uh, take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old for a burnt offering, an ox and a ram for a peace offering, and grain offerings mixed with oil, and offer them to the Lord. For today the Lord will appear to you. And so Aaron gets all these animals together, and in Leviticus it goes into detail how he kills them, and what he did with what part, and all this stuff. You know, and I don't like reading that part very much. But it like, talks about what it does with the fatty parts and all this stuff. And then, and, and he, he, him and him and Moses, they go into the, to the, to the, uh, the, the temple of meeting, and they, they come out, and then he blesses the people, and then, the, and, the, and the, like Lord, it appears to them, powerfully, fire of the Lord comes and it burns away the offering. They're like, oh, it's the glory of the Lord. And then in chapter ten it says that Nabed and Abihu, who were priests. And they're actually sons of Aaron, offered, and it says, unauthorized fire. Some say alien fire. New King James says profane fire. Another definition of the word is, of the word strange that's used is loathsome fire. Whatever kind of fire it was, God was not having it. And the fire of the Lord came down and consumed them and they died. Aaron's like, what happened? That's my sons. And then Moses says, he says, this is what the Lord says. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all people, I will be glorified. And then he says, among those who approach me, I will be proven holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. And Nadab and Nabihu, who were both priests, they were the mediators between God and, the, and his people. And we don't know exactly what they did wrong. But it's clear that they misrepresented God in some way. And they incurred God's wrath. He is serious about who he is and who and how he's represented. 
Numbers 20 is this part where the Israelites, they're thirsty. There's no water. Like Moses, man, you brought us out here to die. They, the Israelites start complaining. Like, man, there's no water. We're, we're gonna, all our animals are going to die. We're all going to die. And there's all this grumbling. And then, and then the Lord tells Moses, and the Lord speaks to Moses and says, Take the staff, gather the people, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. And so Moses takes the staff, gathers the people, but instead of telling the rock to yield its water, he says, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And he strikes the rock through two times. Crack, crack. And water starts to flow. And they all drink. They're like, oh, that's good. But God tells Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given you. He's serious about how he's represented. And Moses and Aaron wasn't able to enter the promised land. Brothers and sisters, believers, but more importantly, leaders of New Philly, pastors, Pastor Mina and myself, we need to take seriously how we represent our God. He's serious about how he's represented. And in our hypocrisy, we, we misrepresent our God. You know, in our hypocrisy, we misrepresent his holiness, his goodness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his righteousness. And when Jesus saw the Pharisees, he saw them misrepresent the Father through their hypocrisy. And it infuriated him. And we see in Christ's chastisement of the Pharisees just how much he detested their hypocrisy. Because, you know, through which they were misrepresenting the very character of God. And in Acts 5, we see in the infancy of the church... Through the accounts of Ananias and Sapphira, we see God's emphatic message to stamp out hypocrisy from our church. And more importantly, from ourselves. Because what does it say? All the people that heard it, great fear came upon all who heard. And it says great fear came upon the the whole church. And that fear should be upon you as you read it. But it shouldn't be a fear of death. But it should be a fear of the Lord. However, this emphatic message doesn't seem to have been conveyed to us, the church. Today, one of the most common complaints against the church is that we're all full of hypocrites. A lot of the reasons why young people leave the church is because of all the hypocrisy that they see in their parents' generation. The hypocrisy that they see in their parents. Parents, you better check yourself. Me and Mina, we're about to have a baby. We got to check ourselves. Because kids the best radar for hypocrisy they do man they know they know truth when they're young i remember i would tell my kids don't speak korean my my hagwon kid i'd be don't speak korean you can't speak korean and then they'll say and i'll be teaching and i'll say korean they're like teacher you spoke korean i'll be like he's a hypocrite i'm like man but you know they're so quick They, they they put it together like like man you're not practicing what you preach you know, and, and as parents, man, we got to be careful that we display, you know, what we are on the outside and how we treat our kids and how we treat our loved ones and our family is the same on the outside as it is on the inside. That when we're at church, we're the same as when we're at home. Yeah. Our kids need to see that. Because, you know, when I was growing up, a lot of us, we didn't see it. My sister didn't see it. 
My sister left the church a long time ago because all the hypocrisy and the judgment that she faced through the women's in my mom's church. All the gossip, all the slander, all the backstabbing. Why they portray such a pious image in front of the church. My sister couldn't take it anymore. She left the church for a long time. She got married, had two kids. Recently, she started going back to church. And to people like my sister, I don't have much to say. It's true. A lot of churches everywhere are filled with hypocrites. It's filled with hypocrisy. And if you're not one of these people, and if you are one of these people today, if you have been hurt by Christians with their holier-than-thou attitudes, judging you, condemning you, they claim to follow Christ, but they go home and they live exactly the way they say you shouldn't live. If you are one of these people that's been hurt and disillusioned by hypocrisy in the church, I apologize. I apologize to you on their behalf. But Jesus said, you know what he said? He said, don't follow me. Don't follow my people. He never said, follow my people. He said, follow, what do you say? Follow me. You know what? Jesus is never a hypocrite. He is exactly what he says he is. Jesus is exactly what this Bible says he is. He is not a hypocrite. And when you follow Jesus, and, and, and you know what? You might face hypocrisy, but when your eye is on Jesus, and you choose, to, you choose Jesus, you, 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 will find, you will find everything that he has for you. You can't let, you can't, what is it? You can't throw the, can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because you see all, the, the, the people are messed up. Doesn't mean you throw it all away. Doesn't mean you throw Jesus away. You know, Gandhi once said, "You know, I love, I, I admire your Jesus, but not so much the follow his followers." And he saw the hypocrisy in Christians. And as a church, the, the answer to hypocrisy isn't to point fingers, but the answer is to examine ourselves, to examine our own lives and our own convictions. To rid ourselves of this sin. And also to guard ourselves from it. You know, hypocrisy isn't a sin aimed at non-Christians. But it's directed at us. And if you're hearing this sermon and you're you're thinking, "Man, man, I don't have a problem with hypocrisy. I encourage you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) Examine your heart. See See where you're at. Let me tell you, this is a very sermon, this very hard sermon to write. Holy Spirit was mad convicting me as I was writing this sermon. I was like, Lord, this is hard. But he's like, man, you have to preach this because you have to practice what you preach. I was getting convicted and the fear of God hit me as I was writing this. And today I want to confess to you, I'm not a perfect man. As a matter of fact, some of you probably are more disciplined than me. Some of you probably read the Bible more than me. You know, I mess up. There's times when my, my quiet time sucks. And some of you might have better character than me. Like Roy. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. But you know what? I have the Holy Spirit. He leads me. And there is grace that comes. And it comes from the fear of the Lord. Psalm 130, 3-4 says, If you, O Lord, should mark 
iniquities, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who would stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Today I want to close by giving you four ways in which we can guard ourselves from hypocrisy. And it starts with the fear of the Lord. You have to fear God and revere Him. Look to Him. Value His thoughts, His truths above all else. Man may think of me this way, but it's more important what God knows about me. And our guard against hypocrisy starts with that fear. The other points I tell you after this, it's not going to matter unless that fear of the Lord is established in you. And that fear of the Lord, it comes from the knowledge of who He is and what He did. It comes from going after the knowledge of Him. Going after who He is. Searching for Him in His Word. Seeking after Him in prayer. Seeking and searching for His wisdom and knowledge. His knowledge, His commands. Drawing near to Him in His presence. It says, Proverbs 2, 1-5, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you, making your, your ears attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as, as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We guard ourselves from hypocrisy by constantly running after who God is. And coming to the understanding of the fear of the Lord. And number two, we guard ourselves from hypocrisy through accountability. By establishing accountability structures in your life. It says in James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. You too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. Having someone keep you accountable in your walk will help you deal with a certain sin patterns and the bondages in your life before it becomes deception. In your heart, and that will lead to hypocrisy. Now, if you don't have accountability structures in your life, falling into sin, you have no avenue to bring that into light. A lot of pastors around the world, they have no accountability structures. And so, you know, they might sin. And where it says, it says to confess our sins to one another, they just hold that inside. They hold that inside. And out of fear of losing their position... They hold that inside, but to their congregation, everything's fine. And that sin, whatever it is, is going to start festering. And it's going to start, you know, it's going to be like that leaven that starts to grow. To the point where all of a sudden, there's this huge scandal. And this pastor is found sleeping with one of the congregation members. This happens all the time because there's no accountability structures that are installed in your life. And you feel we have accountability structures set up for all of our leadership. All our active leaders have accountability partners that keep each other accountable in areas of parity, spiritual discipline, tithing, and other spiritual heart matters. My accountability partner is Pastor Herman. And, and we meet. And we talk. And, and we say things. 
All our reserve leaders are in small groups with leaders that ask those tough questions and keeping them accountable. And although it may not be a perfect system, it's an effective way to bring freedom and healing into the lives of the members and our our leaders. And today, if you have no accountability structure in your life, if no one is keeping you accountable to what you're doing and how you live, I strongly encourage you to seek out accountability. Join a small group. Join a community group. You know, our small groups, it's a safe environment where you can, like, not only establish an accountability structure because small group members will ask you questions and say how you're doing, but it's also a way where you can experience maturity and growth and breakthrough in your life. Bondage from sin. And if it's, and if it's our Sabbath season, like it is now, and we're not offering small groups until September, grab one of our active leaders and have a chat with them. But establish some sort of accountability in your life. You know, hypocrisy, it breeds in isolation of your mind. That's what God, the enemy wants to isolate you. It's only when we open our minds and our hearts to accountability and transparency that we find the avenue to bring true healing and freedom and freedom into our lives. Guard yourself against hypocrisy through accountability. And the last, the last way that I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest is we guard ourselves from hypocrisy by having an eternal perspective. When we come to the realization of how short our lives are on this earth and how glorious our future is in eternity, we learn to make better decisions. Do you think that if Ananias and Sapphira had known literally how short their lives on earth would be, you think that they would have made the decision that they did? Their story gives us a shocking reminder of, of how short and insignificant our lives here on earth could be compared to the glorious riches in eternity through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to know that we are a new creation meant for eternity. And our lives here are, and it's our way of thinking, it needs to reflect the fact that we are eternal beings. And that there's an eternity that we are living for. And the decisions that we make need to come from the idea that we are eternal. There is an eternal reward involved here. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, we guard ourselves from hypocrisy by continually reflecting our new eternal life in By setting our hearts and mind on eternity. When you have an eternal perspective. And you are faced with a decision between what man thinks of you. And what God thinks of you. You will find yourself choosing God's truth. But you have to have that eternal perspective. When you're faced with decision. You got to say you know what I'm living for eternity. My decisions now need to be based on eternity. And finally, I want to close with this. Hypocrisy is not only sin, but it's pointless and it's futile. Luke 12, 1, 2, 3. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up. 
that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There will come a day when all of us, we will have to give an account. Every sin, every deception, every hypocritical lie, we will be exposed. And we will have to give an account. And on that day, nothing will be able to save you. Except the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. The repentance and faith in him. Church, God is examining us. To, God is calling us to examine our hearts today. Does your inside match your outside? Does the outside of that Ferrari Testarossa body match the, in, the engine that is inside? Or is it a Hyundai Excel engine inside? <laughs> a lot of us would like that. Our outsides are shiny, polished. Looks like that, that Bentley that I saw the other day at Shinsegei. But you lift up the hood, and there's this tiny four-cylinder, rusted-out engine that's barely able to produce any horsepower. Does your outside match what you have on the inside? If you're a Christian in this room, this message is for you. Because hypocrisy, it's aimed at you. Non-Christians rarely, rarely struggle with hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira, they were Christians. They were part of the church. They were believers. And God is asking you today, examine your heart. Are you walking the walk? Or are you just talking the talk? Because if it's not matching up, God's saying it's not too late. He's saying, come to me. You have to come clean. Why don't you guys close your eyes? I want you guys to examine your heart. Examine your heart. Examine your life. And does your inside match what you have on the outside? Are you representing God correctly? Is your life, the life that you preach, is it, does it match to the life that you're living? And brothers and sisters, if it's not, God doesn't come right now with judgment, but He comes with love. His love leads us to repentance. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. I want you guys to examine your heart. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'll give you an opportunity to pray. 
that, Lord, give me conviction in my heart. Give me conviction in my heart to live the life that you're calling me to live. To stand on the principle, the precepts that you have established over me. Help my outside match my inside. Help me to represent you in the way that you've called me to do. I want you to pray. Help me to not be a hypocrite. Help me break off the fear of Ben off of me. Right now, there's an anointing in this room to break off the fear of man off of you. There's an anointing to break off the fear of what man thinks of you, off of you. And right now, there's an anointing. The Spirit of God is in this place, and He's saying, Look to me, because I know your heart. And if you give me your heart, I will make your heart like mine. But you got to come clean before the Lord. We all do. We all need to bear everything at the feet of the cross. And say, God, make me new. Make me clean. Make my heart like yours, God. Let's all pray. I want you guys to pray. Pray. Pray that prayer. If God, the Holy Spirit is right now convicting you. Pray that prayer. Father God. I just pray that you will examine our hearts. Lord, examine my heart. And if there's anything that's not of you, Lord, I pray that you will pull it out. Remove it, God. Because I want to be completely and holy for you, Lord. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we come against hypocrisy in our church, God, it starts with us. It starts with me. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will examine our hearts. Examine our hearts, God. And make us right before you, Lord. Lead us into the ways of walking the walk. And not just talking the talk. That what we are on the outside, that what we are on Sundays, will not just be on Sunday, but it will be every day. That what we, the how we are to each other here in the house of God is how we are to the, the lost people of this city, of this nation, as we go out, Lord. Help us to live it out, Lord. Help me to live it out, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this word. And I pray for everyone that was convicted today by your Holy Spirit, God. I pray that you will bring a work of redemption in their lives, Lord. Lord, a work of repentance in their life. And bring them back to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you for your amazing love for us. We declare that you are holy. We declare that you are good. We love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.